Hello, and welcome back to They Slayed Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me I've got Liam. In the words of Clive Privler, must go faster. And Mitch isn't here because he tragically died in what can only be described as a large hat accident. And we're sorry tragic. about that. It's tragic. It's very sad. And um, this episode's dedicated to the memory of Mitch and his large hat. All right, let's do a quick clip show of Mitch's greatest moments. All right, good. Cool. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we are here to do a few things. One, it's October now, which means that it's uh, Halloween for the next 31 days. What? Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about horror movies. We're going to talk about horror movies. And we might just get up to some wacky hijinks along the way, if you know what I mean. Maybe a little bit of those Roderick rules. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I thought we'd at least be safe from Roderick in the confines of spooky Never. movie month. Never again. He's with us now. Like a spooky ghost haunting our every move. <laughs> play all the best clips of Roderick from the show (laughs) (laughs) thank you Roderick okay all right so now that this episode is an hour long (laughs) let's get down to brass tacks okay Liam we've had a few Halloween seasons under our belt if memory serves two yeah I think it's more like a couple but yeah I see what you mean several uh, by which I mean two so people know a lot of our Halloween feelings already, and if they don't, go listen to those. Um, so I'm trying to think, what's a new and exciting angle we could take on on, on Halloween-ish discussions for this to kick us off? Well, here's the thing, Corey. I, like many of our listeners, I, I would assume, certainly the listeners that are just listening along week by week, I have forgotten what we talked about every other October episode. That's the problem. So, I mean, sorry to the people that are doing like a a triple feature of all of our Halloween episodes right now. But, I mean, when I think Halloween, I think, what's your favorite Halloween candy? I feel like, did we get into the entire debate about which package to buy is the best? We must have. Mm, Because we've we've debated that personally. That one sounds familiar. And, and uh, if we if we didn't do it on air, it is the uh, the red box with Aero Smarties Coffee Crisp and um, and what? Man, what you don't even it? remember everything that's in it. Oh, Kit Kat, tell- Kit Kat. Let's go. How about I tell you about everything that's in the superior black box? Oh, Mars M M&M and M peanuts, right? Yep. Uh, regular M and M's. Yep. And. Uh, Two of the best chocolate bars ever d- designed by man. What's the fourth one in there? There's there's five. No way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do they, oh, do they have the Rolo in that bad boy? Nope. They got Snickers and Twix. Oh yeah. That's honestly, Corey, that's a really good combo one. But what threw me off is the M&M peanuts. I've just never really been a peanut guy, but I'm now I'm growing into them. Uh, I had a... Yeah. Uh, I had a bag of those Reese's pieces that have peanuts in them yeah. the other day. They're, those they're are new. effectively 
peanut M and M's. That's right, and I was I was loving it, dude. So I think I, I think I'm with you. Just for you, my uh, I haven't actually bought a box of the Halloween candy yet this year. So my first box is going to be the black box, and I'll tell you how it goes because I start almost every Thank year you. with the red box. So so we'll see what's up. And we're Mars breaking Twix cultural norms. Yeah, we're reinventing the system. And they made another one this year. Um, I've already bought two boxes because I started buying them in September. Like the second I went to the store and they were selling them, like I bought one. Oh man, then you were lagging behind because I was seeing those guys halfway through August. Yeah, that's gonna that's on me. I was, uh, you know, I was I was in the midst of my uh, no Halloween treat box cleanse. <laughs> yeah, it takes Couldn't a whole takes a whole eleven months to get through it and. Yeah, right near the end is when it gets hardest. When when they come back <laughs> halfway through August, you're like, ah, if I just uh, made it one more month. But they and, and then get like you. you know, like you you're going to do your laundry and you get accosted by a man holding a box of candy, and you're like, no, get away I'm from so me, close. you 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 candy man. Get away from me, you candied man. <laughs> uh, which is what we're talking about um today. The Candied Man himself, oh, Candyman. Right. Yeah, that's right. So what a delightful little segue that was, huh? Did I know it was. It was kind of. It was kind of destined. Even, we didn't even write that or nothing. No, if any of you were interested in more of our candy thoughts, sorry. I mean, the segue has it's come, and we can't just pass it by. Yeah, look, man, I don't make the rules, but uh, we uh, kind of crushed that one. So let's just get down to it. Uh, it's directed by Nia DaCosta, who uh, did, I think her first, I think it was her first film, actually. It was called Crossing the Line. She's going to be directing the sequel to Captain Marvel, but this is a Nia DaCosta film. Uh, Jordan Peele is in the mix. He, uh, he and Wynn Rosenfeld wrote a draft of this movie, and then Nia DaCosta wrote another draft of the movie and i'm assuming those got you know married together somehow or one of them was a rewrite um when rosenfeld executive produces some jordan peele stuff like twilight zone uh he was on that characters are based on uh or rather come from clive barker uh because the first movie is based on a short story from clive barker called the forbidden and then uh bernard rose who directed the first Candyman uh gets some credit for some of the characters cinematography is by john uh john gotta love john john g gotta respect his mononym is <laughs> a vague mononym vague mononym there's a band name for you that one's free you can have that i got a million of them uh john gulzarian let's go with gulzarian uh, he uh, shot... so let's stick with the mononym. You let's know what? Okay. <laughs> that's actually what I take it back. Um, he's more iconic as John. Uh, he shot the movie Love, Simon about time. Mm, I like that one. Oh, hate that one. Happiest so... season, which I think is coming out this oh. year. No, that was last year. Is that movie out? It's the... been out for a whole year. Yeah. Well, there you go. You got 365 days to, to watch Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis do whatever it is oh they're doing gosh. in that movie. Daylight savings time really <laughs> messed you up, eh, Corey? <laughs> I forgot when Happiest Season came out when the clocks changed. All right, give me um, give me a fourth movie he's done because right now I'm getting whiplash from from all these movies. What if it's a TV me. show? Sure. 
Tim and Eric, awesome show. Great job. Oh, gosh. Okay, this dude is uh, <laughs> one for four on me. Which one's the one? I like Love, Simon. Wow. Yeah. Can't believe you don't like Tim and Eric. <laughs> it would be it would be a, a number two if I were to rank all those things. Like a poop it'd be my, it'd be number? my number two. Like, like, you, like it's shitty you don't like it? Well, yes, yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. Can't can't win them all. So, uh, we've got another name that I might pronounce wrong because there are accents in it. Um, Katrine Hedstrom is the editor of this movie. Uh, they also worked on Crossing the Line. Um, and then the music is by uh, Robert Aiki Aubrey Lowe, who was in the music department for It Comes at Night. Sicario, mm. Arrival, and mm. Mother, which is pretty fucking sick, dude. All right, that dude, that dude's four fucks. for four. So. <laughs> that I, dude, I, I, that right. dude goes hard. I'm interested yeah. in what this Candyman movie has to offer now. <laughs> you haven't, Liam? Can I just play over here for a second? Yeah. Oh, sorry. You haven't, you haven't watched it yet. Well, I figured we were gonna do this this introductory thing first, and then you and, know we'd separate, we'd watch the movie. Liam, when have we ever when have we ever done that? It's Spooktober, Corey. <laughs> Thought we were doing something special. <laughs> like like four hour episodes because we have a uh, big introduction. All right, hang one. on, hang on. Play play the clip show of Liam's greatest moments. I'll be right back. <laughs> the episode is now six hours long. Okay, okay. I, I saw it. I'm good. Okay. Nobody panic. We're everything's fine. So I'm just gonna. I know that you you know all this already because you just watched the movie. But uh, here's the cast. Uh, just a quick rundown. So I've got a. Now <laughs> I have to admit, I always say this guy's name is um, Yaya Abdul Mateen Two, which I know is not right. It must be the second. You've been there's doing no too much of our podcast. There's no way it's two. But every time I read it, I read it as two, and I'm sorry to Yaya for that. Dude, so there's nothing I can do. We need to do a spin-off series on this show where we just review the filmographies of actors with like a two in their name. Or like and it's, a, or, or like their we review their personal lives. It's all about how they made another one. The only one like and then like we've got like Robert Griffin the third, who is a, a football quarterback, I think. Robert Downey Jr., I think that might count. Robert Downey two. <laughs> um You've seen him, uh, by which I don't mean Robert Downey too. I mean Yaya Abdul-Mateen, um, in Us, in Watchmen, in Aquaman, and he'll be in the sequel. And he's cast in Furiosa when that movie comes out in 35 years. Um, two he, out of four on that one. <laughs> which two? Uh, Are we going to do this for everybody? <laughs> us and... Um, I've already forgotten the other things well, you said. Was it Watchmen or Aquaman One? Aquaman. <laughs> haven't seen Watchmen. I haven't either. So yeah, and that's the TV show. That is not the film. So that's right. Yeah, friend of the show, Keiki, loved him in Watchmen. Nice. And now we have a uh, Tiona Paris, who is uh, in If Beale Street Could Talk, which is a movie that I love to death. Mm -hmm. um, one for and one. Chirac, which I have not seen. Uh, she was on Mad Men for a while, and she will be in the Marvels when that movie comes out as well. Uh, uh, so I got to take your word for it on the one for four there, Corey, because I don't got you, nothing. You got to see that movie, dude. I know. I would love to. Moonlight was Ooh. was one of my favorite movies. Like uh, when we're done, in just, general, I just love that. Do movie. that when we're yeah. like when this episode ends. Just do that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, a couple more things we got to get through here. Uh, Nathan Stewart Jarrett is playing Troy. Uh, he was on Misfits, which is a big show I've one never for seen. one. Big one for one. Love I've, Misfits. I could feel it in my bones you were a Misfits guy. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. And it was so cool seeing him in this because he actually hasn't done a whole lot since. Certainly nothing I've seen him in. So it was it was really cool to see him pop up on such a giant screen. Like literally? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. So Oh, because I, I watched picture. it at home, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got Coleman Domingo. Uh, as Ooh. William Burke, who's fucking awesome. I'm just going to say that up front. Uh, he's in a lot of stuff. I just picked three. So we have Selma, Lincoln, and The Nick. I don't know if you've got... Are we mm. over three on that? Over three on that one. I just haven't seen him. That's all. Yeah. And then uh, the actor playing the young kid version of his character is named Rodney L. Jones. Um, and then we've got Kyle Kaminsky playing Grady. We've got Vanessa Williams, uh, who was in the original Candyman. Mm-hmm. Worth noting. one for one uh, on that one. A <laughs> uh, few, I have a few actors where I didn't list stuff. Uh, just you know, time crunch. I guess I don't know. Don't you? Don't, it doesn't matter. Um, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> They're listening to this episode right now. A single uh, tear falling from their eye. <laughs> uh, Rebecca Spence, Brian King, Miriam Moss, Michael Hargrove, Carl Clemens, Hopkins, and spoilers. <laughs> Tony Todd. <laughs> Mm. Who is in Final Destination Five? Big one for one. He's he's <laughs> actually he's in. Um, I'm I'm fairly certain he's in every single Final Destination movie in some capacity. Like in Final Destination Three, it's just a voice role. He plays uh, the voice of a roller coaster. Um, the what? and in the first in the. You know how roller coasters sometimes talk, talk? to you. They're like, "Yo, no. get in my belly and ride on me." No, I don't know that. And also, do I have to censor that? Uh, up to you, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we got the explicit tag. <laughs> yeah. And that was your choice. So uh, <laughs> air well, it I out mean, there, Clark. We're swearing. <laughs> apparently. Yeah, apparently. Did you just it sounded like a door was creaking open? <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh, something made it sound like... Ooh. Maybe there's someone coming up behind me. That's deeply spooked over. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Tony Todd, a big one for one on Final Destination series. I got two G- more. Yeah, give me some more. Let's see where he's at. The Crow. Oh, big one for one. Is well, he that's in, I don't even two. remember him in The Crow. What? Well, let, how about this? I got one more listed here. Okay. Because he's got like hundreds of credits. We could have been here all day. Yeah. But he is in The Man from Earth. <laughs> I know that one. I knew it. And if you didn't mention it, I would have in order to take Tony Todd down a peg. Uh, (laughs) Just in case you gave me three things that he's in that I love. And you very well could have because, I mean, come on, Night of the Living Dead, 1990. Yeah, he was in he was in Wishmaster from 97. We watched that together, Corey. I almost spit my drink everywhere when you said you needed to take Tony Todd down a peg. <laughs> oh man, like I'm gonna keep it in. You can hear me. I don't know if you were I don't know what was gonna but like you can hear me panicking. Like because I didn't know what I was gonna do to solve that problem. Uh yeah, so Tony Todd, we like him. Uh despite yeah. some things he's done. We like him. And so this movie um is it's a sequel. 
let's just be let's just be direct yeah, about come this. On. Come on, come on! It's not a fucking reimagining. It's a fucking sequel. Yeah, and you can take th- that exact quote and put it at the beginning of our eventual Scream 2022 episode. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Because people are gonna call that shit like a reboot, and there's no need. There's simply no need. Mm-mm. Um, so this movie is about. Anthony McCoy, who is an artist in Chicago with his girlfriend, and he hears about the legend of the Candyman from a man in a laundromat, and he gets <laughs> hears about the Candyman from the laundromat, <laughs> and he and he's like, "Oh man, I'm an artist, man. Maybe I need to do some stuff about this Candyman." Yeah, I'm gonna inspire. Uh, I'm gonna inspire. Oh, the Wikipedia page says the word inspire, and then I I guess my brain just decided to make me say that. Um, I'm gonna speak about this in loose terms because we'll get through it uh, as we go. I think, but right, because we're gonna looking, spoil this movie, right? We're as gonna we spoil go the shit corner. out of this movie, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and he's an artist looking for inspiration. He gets inspired by that. Um, and then maybe things get a little too real. Um, and I guess I just want to ask quick. I'm genuinely gonna leave it there in case people want to stop before spoilers happen. Uh. Yeah, you know what? Put in another clip of Corey's best moments, and <laughs> afterwards, it's all spoilers all the time. Yeah, that's how I was going to signal it every time, as we play my greatest moments before every spoiler on any episode. That's right. Um, So, I have not seen Candyman. I did not... Well, I have seen this one. That's It feels like an important thing to clarify. Based Wait, on the Corey, do we, we need to run another <laughs> clip? We need some time? It's all right. I've been there, man. <laughs> Play Laura's greatest moments while I can watch the movie. Um, no, uh, I have not seen the original Candyman. I didn't know shit about the original Candyman at all. Um, I guess I knew it involved a dude with a hook hand and bees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was essentially it. Uh, so I went in as a complete blank slate. Uh, short of seeing a couple headlines to reviews from when the movie came out that were, I will admit, mostly negative. <laughs> so I did go in mm. knowing that some pretty negative reviews of the new movie existed, but that's about it. Um, I know you've seen Candyman original version, original flavor. Uh, and I was just wondering what you could tell us about that. Yeah, so... I first saw Candyman pretty recently, actually. It was uh, two, two, three years ago. Um, in my final year of university, I took a film class that was called something along the lines of uh, uh, Cities in Cinema. Um, and so it was uh, all about watching, watching movies that had a strong... Uh, tie to the city that they take place in so we uh we watched Candyman. we watched um uh to be honest Corey, this was the semester you can mostly remember candy man this was the semester that i met brianna and so i ended up skipping a lot of classes um, wow and what did you get out of that a fiance <laughs> that's right i gotta contact this professor and be like sorry about skipping those classes but here's the proof in the pudding man (laughs) one's more important than the other um but sorry i didn't come to class when we watched mean creek which is famously said in mean creek usa (laughs) 
Um, but Candyman was one of the first movies we watched, and I loved Quick, it. And Liam, so what city I, is it in? Chicago. Okay, great. And Good so answer. I guess I, I guess I was just like, oh man, this is worth the price of the class. Just this movie. So now I'm good. Um. Oh, another one popped into my head. We watched Amelie. The the is that in uh, Paris? That's right. Yeah, the Paris movie. Oui, oui. Um, man, it's gonna bug me all night. What other stuff? If if I think of things as as uh, do you have the syllabus like on, on a computer somewhere? Could we really just deep dive this bad boy? We don't need to do it right now. Uh, I'll I'll think about it. I'll think about it. It'll be a fun little surprise whenever one comes into my head. I can do it all throughout the month of October, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so we watched Candyman. And when I first saw it on the list, on the syllabus, um, I was like, Candyman? I had no idea that that movie was like a city-based movie. Because some of the other movies on the list, I had... Uh, either seen them before or i or i knew of them and i could easily tell what city they were tied to but Candyman, i didn't know and that's because Candyman uh has been pretty elusive to me all throughout my life i would see the poster all the time when i was perusing the video store as a kid a great poster a close-up of an eyeball with a b really close to it and in the reflection of the eyeball you can see a figure with uh a hook at their side and so i really loved that poster and i was captivated by it but i never rented it and even growing up i would just never really hear about Candyman. like it came out in the early 90s so this is like post the friday the 13th crash but it's also pre-scream and so a lot of people don't really talk about that era all that much the sequels that came out, um, I still don't hear talked about. And so it wasn't referred to uh, in that way. Um, and so Candyman just always sort of slipped me by. And I really didn't know much about it before watching it for uh, that class. And it really blew me away watching it for the class. I mean, um, it's definitely a movie that is tied to the city it takes place in Chicago. But it's also a movie that is... it it has a whole lot going on in terms of uh, like, it, it's definitely has a lot to say about uh, urban spaces and, and uh, class differences and stuff, but it's, it also has things to say about uh, racial issues, um, academia. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a pretty jam packed focused unique horror movie um and it also like has some some killing in it and so it's but <laughs> i mean but i i wouldn't lump it in with a uh, a slasher movie it doesn't feel like a slasher movie to me even though we've got this great slasher icon in the candy man um it, it wouldn't surprise me if the the sequels two and three um which i haven't seen are are more of a typical slasher movie but the first one it really does feel like its own unique beast and i think part of that might also be the time it came out in i mean uh film goers were tired of your typical slasher movie at this point um friday the 13th and nightmare already had so many sequels and even halloween was starting up again um so i think this movie was like coming off of silence of the lambs it was a bit going for a, a bit more of a serious grounded take while also having 
some Clive Barker weirdness in it that comes out in in the last little bit. And so I think Candyman is a really great, fascinating, um, immersive, beautiful movie. Um, and I've seen it a couple times since. I have the Blu-ray, um, which I would recommend to anyone. There are the Scream Factory Blu-ray Collector's Edition. There are so many special features on that thing, and it has the theatrical and unrated cut, and uh, really cool release. Um, so I was really excited to see this uh, right when it was announced a few years ago. I was following along. I was really excited by Jordan Peele's initial involvement because that's what came out first. Um I think at one point he was set to direct it. And so um, I was in it from the beginning. So uh, yeah, Candyman 2021, let's go. Nice, dude. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also didn't know anything about Candyman or it's like deep ties to like its location. And I'll say now that after I watched Candyman 2021, I did some reading, not nearly as much as I would have liked to, but um, yeah, it's worth setting up now how deeply the movie is tied to place um both the, the inter- remake you mean or sorry the sequel well, this one 2021 yeah well they both they both are from the sounds of it but yeah right. yeah um because i had never even heard the phrase cabrini green before uh worth noting for anybody who's listening to the movie doesn't know we're not american um it does say on wikipedia which is where i started my reading that uh Cabrini green was a bit of like a slang term by a certain point for just like problems with public housing. Um, but I never heard of it. I didn't know what it was or anything. So reading about um, sort of like the ideologies that went into like n- new urbanism renewal projects in the United States and effectively just building ghettos and um, those becoming predominantly black areas in those cities like this movie shoots in what's left of Cabrini green, uh, which has mostly been torn down by this point um, because it was built up over the course of like 70 years ish. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, like public housing that was sort of, a, you know, run down and mistreated as it often is. And um, I think it's worth acknowledging up front how, chicago how rooted in chicago the movie is in some ways i did read a review i I read one review that i'm probably going to reference a lot um that said that the movie didn't do enough of that by which i mean like make the city feel like the city that it actually is in real life i've never been to chicago i don't know what that would mean but um yeah it was it was just fascinating to like learn more about that through Candyman. I just thought that was interesting because Cabrini Green is a phrase that comes up a lot. It's where these things are happening. It's where the violence of the end of the movie happens and the beginning. Um, it's a site of police violence. It's a site of trauma for a lot of people. And I just think it's interesting to like really ground that um, in our understanding of how we're going to talk about the movie uh, because it comes up quite a bit. Uh, and if you haven't done any reading about that, uh, it's worth digging into a little bit more to give you a sense of what that was like. Uh, but yeah, um, the taller buildings that we see at the beginning of the movie were all torn down by 2011. And then they, uh, those two story buildings that we see in the movie are just still there. Um, so that's cool. But, uh, 
Yeah, I just wanted to mention that, but what I want to do is just because you have seen Candyman, I'm going to do that thing that I always do, which is make you talk about the movie first. Oh, no way. Uh, wow, what a surprise. Um, what did you think about this Candyman, I think especially given your knowledge of the first one, but also, I guess, regardless of how you want to approach it, but I think because you know, you've got that baggage, so to speak. Sure, yeah, and I've got that context right because like you said this is is a a better word (laughs) this is a sequel (laughs) and um i think that it it has on its mind that there could be that there will be a lot of people who haven't seen the original and so i think it does a bit of uh sex in the city um catch up where it's like this is what's going on this is what you've got to know but also uh there is stuff in this movie that is definitely subtle or or not so subtle references to the original that that other people might uh if if you haven't seen that original might be lost on and i'm not talking just like cute little easter eggs i'm talking story beats and um entire characters absolutely yeah so (laughs) so definitely a sequel and so seeing the original um definitely impacts how i think about this movie um so where i'm at this was my first movie back in the theater since the Invisible Man, which we also reviewed on the podcast, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, holy moly, Corey! The first thing I gotta say is, uh, you'll have to tell me: is this like the most HD movie of all time, or have I just not seen a movie on a big screen in a while? Because I could see every single pore on these people's faces, and I was like. What is going on? Where did they get these cameras? Is this what movies looked like a year and a half ago before I started watching them on my uh, I was much smaller flat this. screen TV? Neither um, was I, but it came to my head and I've got to get it out there. I didn't notice anything exceptional in that regard. Oh, Corey, then let me let me say, you ever heard of this theater thing? Holy shit. It is yeah, like, it might have just been oh. because you saw it in the theater. Granted, yeah. I saw Mamma Mia recently in the theater, and I do not recall seeing Meryl Streep's pores. Right, right. The original Mamma Mia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Back then, they might not have had the pore technology. They didn't have pore technology. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere, between, somewhere between then and now, they figured it out. I'm glad that we both decided it had to be poor technology. <laughs> Yeah, well, the th- it's a, it's a it's a two part process. The filmmakers have to have the poor technology, and then the screen that you're watching it on has to have the poor technology. And uh, um, I'll tell you, the screen and the theater I saw this on uh, off air, so that you can, if you ever want to see some wicked pores, this is a place to. I go. like how you're keeping this a secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one, it's COVID. We don't want too many people rushing it when we're trying to go see some pores. And two, right. even if it wasn't COVID. We don't want too many people rushing it when we're trying to go see some pores. It's nice also we don't want to dox ourselves, I guess. Yeah. So uh, you know we're not it. American, and that's all you get, unless yeah, you listen figure... to basically any other episode. any other episode of this show. Um, yeah, but so aside from the pores, yeah, I'll try. Is that to all talk... you wanted to talk I'll, about was pores? I'll, okay, I'll try, Corey. But I gotta say, it was hard to ignore. <laughs> it was, was it hard. actually like jokes aside like was it genuinely distracting to be like whoa look at these faces no not in no not in a way that was distracting from like what the movie was putting down but like it was it was more than once throughout the movie i was just like wow that is 
the highest quality thing I've ever seen in my life. And so it was cool. Wow. Um, it, I think it added to the, to the movie. It was very nice. Um, okay. And besides that, let me see where I want to go with this. Cause I was just, just taking it all HD in the movie you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was just taking it all in. Uh, I didn't, I didn't bring my notes cause it was my first time at the theater in a year and a half and I didn't want to be a nerd writing stuff down. I just wanted to soak it in. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, figuring out the movie with you. Um, truth be told, I did, I did see this movie a bit, uh, a bit, uh, earlier than today. Um, you have seen the more movie more recently than me, and so I might even need your help at some points. But yeah, I watched it. Gosh, two days ago. Right. Yeah, it's been about two weeks for me or so. Um, so where I'm at right now, Corey, is uh, I don't I don't like it all that much. That's that's where I'm at. Um, okay. I I wasn't not enjoying myself while i was there i mean i was seeing beautiful pores so that 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 we all know you're a you're a porous guy um famously and i think there's plenty of good stuff in the movie particularly like it's it's a it's a real visual feast and so um uh is it I don't know if I agree I, with that. Oh, I think so. I think so. I think I think, even, I think that's the theater talking. That's the poor talking. Yeah, I genuinely do think that. Wow. Um, okay. Well, we'll figure that out later. But I re- I really think it's it's visually uh, impressive, um, and I think the I like a whole lot of the actors in it um but I think like the writing here is just so it takes what I think would be more effective as subtext and makes it like the literal text of the movie at at many many turns um uh, dude you have I, you have teed up a quote I'm going to use from a review later extremely well. Do you want to drop it now or do you want to wait? No, I'll let you finish. But I, don't okay. think, it's, I think it's fascinating that you've... I did not expect you to come down on it this way. So I'm kind of fascinated. That's all. Yeah, and, and neither did I because that's not a problem I have in general with movies. Like, um, there was controversy about... Uh, I don't know, two years ago. It might have actually been around the time Black Christmas 2019 came out, with which you and I both liked. Um, and a uh, horror host who um, has been around for decades and decades, and now he he does shows for Shudder called Joe Bob Briggs, he made some tweets, I think, that that said that back in the day with horror, there was no, there was no political axe to grind. Um, uh, that, yeah. you know... Yeah, okay, th- Joe Bob filmmakers they were just making the movies just to like you know get at this point honestly i might be i might be going off book uh from what he said but he definitely said uh, filmmakers didn't used to have political axes to grind um and that it was you know you just get the movie um and there you go And, and nowadays it's it's all shoved in your face and uh i don't agree with that at all and um even if that were the case, I am not against movies that are shoving stuff in your face. I think uh, it's it's really important, especially 
if movies back in the day didn't have political axes to grind, even if that were true, I think that would make it more, even more important now to be like, okay, you know, we've had all these movies where we haven't been talking about these things. These things have been have gone unsaid for so long. So now let's do it. Let's get this stuff. Let's get this stuff out there. Um, but I thought that this movie was um, so making making it so um it it made it its mission that everyone in the audience knew where it was coming from uh all the all the time and i thought that that made the movie suffer as a whole from like an immersion point of view like i had a really tough time connecting to the characters feeling like any of this stuff was real because it felt like um like an academic essay dressed up as a movie um there's even a point in the movie uh at the art gallery where um our our main character is is going on about uh, Anthony. He's going on about uh, what he meant with his Candyman inspired exhibit, his Candyman inspired art, pieces. which I will say I thought was pretty cool. Uh, that he was going on about it, or what? What happened? Oh, like the afterwards. actual piece itself, like that it's a mirror and you can open it. Oh, yeah, inside. yeah. I would have been a I'd be a terrible art critic because I thought it was cool too. Um, <laughs> And so he. he oh no, he, Liam! We do a podcast where we critique art. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, um. No, Corey. The the physical art world is very different. We've got to know that. Um. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this movie. This movie really shows it. It's a. Uh, okay. So yeah. So he's going on about what he meant with the art, and then uh, the art critic says something like, um, "Wow, that's really like." complicated or like boring or uh she basically just gives it to him for like being for being giving it to her so thick you know oh that sounds terrible i have um, the quote yeah yeah go ahead because I'm, I'm kind of floundering here it speaks in didactic media cle- whoa i threw a pen let me try that again that was an accident um you don't know your own strength <laughs> wow uh, it speaks in didactic media cliches about the ambient violence of the gentrification cycle and then she also just or then she goes on to say your kind are the real pioneers of that cycle, which is a loaded thing to say to a black man, your kind, uh, before clarifying that she means artists. Um, but yeah, it in much the w- way that her um, critique is heavy handed, the whole movie is. Can I segue really quick here into why I'm amazed at this? Yeah, this uh, take that you have. Which, because it's very in line with the review that I was going to quote, mm-hmm. um, which is from Angelica Jade Bastian for Vulture. Uh, its headline is Candyman is a soulless didactic reimagining. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, didactic essentially just means like it's trying to teach you something. Uh, All right. I'm surprised this movie didn't define that for us. Yeah, on and so can I read a paragraph from this? Yeah. Okay. Candyman tells you loudly from the jump what it thinks you should hear. White people built the ghetto, then erased it when they realized they built the ghetto, Brianna says, with all the finesse of a first rehearsal. At another point, William tells Anthony, they love what we make, but not us. 
Such lines aren't only dry as hell, they're a tell. The film can't run from the fact that it was created with a white audience in mind, full of explanations and blunt language for things black people already understand on a molecular level. Worth noting that uh, Angelica is a black woman. Uh, but we're a, you and I are a white audience, Liam. And if we feel that way as well, that means the movie really fucked up. We? Where are you at, Corey? Oh, I... Uh, um, uh, this movie had a couple things I thought were interesting, but it feels like a fucking history lesson. Oh, and I am shocked. Really? I am. Keep going. Um, we got to get to know ourselves better. We can't both be shocked that we both didn't like something. Yeah, I know. Um, this is, and normally this doesn't happen. So what is no. it? Normally we're pretty good at telling, wow, Candyman, what have not- you done? It's like we're seeing reflections of ourselves. We're Whoa! backwards. Um, this movie's not like, eh, it kind of is exhausting a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it was only an hour and a half. Did you know that? Yeah. Holy moly. So here's the problem. And I think it's a problem that is twofold because one, the movie is absolutely tailored to teach a white audience something. I think that's true. I think if you show this movie to a black audience, they aren't going to be like, wow, can't believe institutional racism exists. Right. Mm-hmm. And cycles of violence. It's like, yeah, no shit. Um, but what I don't understand is this movie's constant compulsion to explain these very kind of straightforward things or have like a very heavy hand in it. The, the two quotes that I wrote down while watching the movie that I thought were the most exhausting actually included, they love what they make, but not us. And white people built the ghetto, then tore it down when they realized they built the ghetto. Like, do most people not know that? Like, does the movie actually feel as if you need to explain to your audience that that racism is real and that it's built into not just like day to day interactions, but like the way cities are structured and the way stories are told? Like, I don't want to sound needlessly naive, but like people kind of get that. I thought. Um, and I think especially in the course of the last year and a half, a lot more people have started to kind of understand that. Um, because so much of this movie is spent explaining to the audience why Candyman is a thing and why it's a result of white violence directed at black people. Um, and look, I'm going to be the first person to say that it's rich hearing this from us and um, us being just two white doofuses. But I mean, I I think the ideas are interesting, especially when Anthony's talking to William and they're sort of getting into how stuff that seems like it was going on in the first movie, which is how Helen was kind of investigating Candyman is a means of collective storytelling for the community and, you know, rationalizing violence that was done to them by sort of like offloading it into something else. Uh, and that sort of 
standing in for just a cycle of you know white violence and gentrification and police violence and any number of things um and how communities can also get brushed aside just because like um that's not taken seriously um i think it's a little on the nose here because in this case candy was literally real um it is like and is like a spirit of like specifically black vengeance which again is a little bit on the nose like the end of the movie is a little bit like wow okay sure um let's make this as direct as humanly possible but um yeah uh i just feel like the movie is too worried that people won't get it but it's very straightforward and I think in the political climate that we currently exist in, you don't need to hold people's hand like this on the one hand. And on the other hand, fair play to Angelica, you took an iconic black character and made this movie for stupid white people, essentially. That's what it feels like. That's why it's a, that's why it's a history lesson and an instruction like a teaching tool like what the fuck just feels like a wasted opportunity to do something more with that yeah i i I totally agree i think that this movie like it has the guise of um expanding upon the 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 moral or the ethical or the political shortcomings of that first movie and um uh, it has the guise of like reclaiming that movie that has a white protagonist and um uh was written and directed by a white person and um so uh all that is super super exciting and i think that it the, the movie like kind of pretty much from the jump i thought this doesn't feel like what i thought it would feel like this kind of feels like it's like either um saying things that i feel the original movie said and now we're just saying them again but like in a more obtuse uh less uh less um when it's all just right there mm-hmm. and there's no subtext at all, you can't do anything with that, you know? Like, I, I have not seen the first Candyman, and as you acknowledged, written and directed by a white guy. But I can only assume it's doing a better job with this, you know, uh, racially diverse material than this movie is with a creative team, you know, with several black people in the prominent roles. And again, I am not comfortable making some kind of statement out of that. And I don't want to say that they didn't know how to make the movie right or anything, uh, because that's questionable for me to say. But what I do think to your point is that it's not doing anything new. And by this point, it's been 30 years almost things are different now (laughs) and there's a lot you could do here that doesn't happen yeah 
Absolutely. I think um, it... <laughs> It like try it's it it feels like it tries to do a lot and then in in like doing that like actually does nothing like it 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 seems like it has all these ideas on its mind because like one scene is explicitly about gentrification like with a definition of gentrification in the dialogue and then another scene is about. Um, uh, like the art world and art criticism and then another scene is about uh, how um, storytelling reflects uh, intergenerational trauma um, but in doing in going from one to one the way that it does it it like none of it really feels connected none of it feels deep it all feels about as uh as deep as um listing all those things out and saying this is what the movie is going to be about it's going to be about intergenerational trauma it's going to be about and all all those things i just said and then i look back on this movie and i'm like yeah this movie referenced those things and so i guess it was about that but beyond that it doesn't actually feel like it was about those things whereas the original Candyman, it is not so explicit with um all those all the things that i think it's about and i think it is actually about a heck of a lot more than this movie ends up being about yeah and i don't think either that um, there's no way this movie understood like the audience of people that would see it because I think regardless of race, frankly, the people who are gonna go out to see Candyman are either like horror heads or at least more likely, I would assume, to skew younger. And the way like popular political and ideological conversation skews among a lot of young people we know what all this shit is. <laughs> you don't need to do the handholding that gets us to the point where, um, fucking you're defining gentrification. Like, right. And we all and know this... what that is. We all know what, like that, um, black art is commodified unfairly. We all know that, you know, institutions actively fight against, uh, racial minorities to uphold white supremacy. We all know that. That's just fucking true shit. Like, <laughs> why are we spending so much time being like, hey, did you guys know this? Right. And and this movie, another crowd it's going to attract and it knows it's going to attract it because of the marketing and, and the way people are were talking about this movie prior are Jordan Peele fans, people who have seen us and Get Out. And um, I think that both those movies uh get out in particular does this sort of social and political commentary far better than this movie does and i think if you're making a movie for people who have already seen those movies what is the sense in then coming out with this one that is like so much more dumbed down is what it really feels like even though like on the surface it seems like this is a smart movie like it just because it's like a whole lot of word salad um some of those quotes that you read off earlier it's like oh this movie is actually like there's 
holy shit, like this is a, there's, there's spewing off a lot of gold and I've got to parse through this. And then it's like, oh no, it's actually just saying things that, uh, like you said, Corey, are just like really obvious. And I guess the argument could be made, and maybe this is where the filmmakers are coming from is that like there are people that don't know this stuff and of course that is that's true um and so this movie is for them to like are they gonna watch a fucking <laughs> sequel to candy man though right and, like, right and that's... generalize entire groups of people it's not fair but look you get you get what i mean like who is watching candy man and going i gotta look up this fucking gentrification thing Right. Yeah. Who's yeah, yeah. doing that? Yeah. So it doesn't make sense from that practical perspective. And then just like from an artistic perspective, I just I don't agree with that approach. I don't I don't uh, agree with um, uh, just like tell a compelling story first. Right. <laughs> Right. And I think and I think that will actually go a lot farther. Um, I think that, you know, think of something like uh, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Okay, that movie uh, has a whole lot of gay subtext to it. Uh, Some people wouldn't call it subtext as well. That movie uh, is different than this movie because like it wasn't it wasn't written by a gay man. And he says he's he's gone back and forth saying that like uh, he he what he was trying to do and whether the director knew. And it's it's a bit more complicated. But my point is that that movie with its gay text or gay subtext or whatever functions as a horror movie that a whole lot of people love, whether they're straight or gay. And it also functions as a movie that got a whole lot of gay people um uh, gay kids uh thinking oh wow there's actually a place in this genre for me there's a place in storytelling for me this movie is saying things it's speaking to me in a way that i didn't know horror movies could speak to me and i and i know that's true because there's a great documentary out there called scream queen um my nightmare on elm street and it follows the star of nightmare on elm street to who uh who was a a closeted gay actor at the time. And uh, they interview a whole lot of fans and the fans say that, that this movie meant so much to them, even though on the surface and to so many people, including the director, apparently it was just a compelling horror movie. And so I think that there's a whole lot of value in uh, being like a bit more focused on, on the story and then the everything you want to say should come out because it's on your mind anyway. Um, and and I think it'll it'll go a longer way. Whereas this movie, it it feels like the the stuff they wanted to say was like down on paper first, and then they were like, okay, how can we we have this Candyman property? How are we gonna how are we gonna make this a thing so that it fits into this universe? Yeah, so it's that thing where it's like stories have ideas inherently, but you cannot give ideas a story, <laughs> right? This is what that feels like. This is an attempt to do. Yeah. Um, and also it's worth acknowledging that this, as far as I know, this is a change to the lore. Uh, I 
I say that with mild regret that it's about lore, but um, Candyman is now like a like a title, or like a like a like a mantle that one can uptake, rather than just a guy. Not right. that Candyman was ever just a guy. It was like obviously it was a symbolic figure of like you know fucking vengeance for being wronged because obviously Daniel Robitaille as we learn again in this movie in case you fucking missed the first one um got uh he Daniel Robitaille the character was a painter who had an affair with a white woman and a bunch of rich white men killed him pretty brutally and then I think every other Candyman named in this movie was the victim of some kind of like institutional white violence that killed them and made them become Candyman? Because there's the dude in the laundry, Sherman. He was killed by the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Bataille obviously killed by the aristocracy. Basically, there's a dude in the middle, but I can't remember. Um, and then obviously, uh, Anthony McCoy's character was like the prodigal son of all this. Um, I guess I partially, you know, ironic for a movie where I'm saying I. Why is it telling us all of this so explicitly? I don't understand why Candyman works this way, where you just like have to propagate the legend of it and it just like keeps itself going. Because, especially with how they set this up, it's not like the symbol of Candyman is the touchstone that these people have for this racism in history or even storytelling like collective storytelling for a community that's being wronged like most people don't know what the fuck it is um it's known by people close to it as just a dangerous guy um which i just think is kind of confusing um and then yeah ideologically it's it's really fucking muddled yeah i being so like borderline like uh like a lecture i thought the lore was was pretty confusing too and to be honest i came away thinking that it was done that way because we can't have tony todd reprise his role to the fullest extent but from the beginning of the movie did to the it end. anyway <laughs> i know he's fucking he's here and you de-aged him and everything yeah uh, Who I, fucking cares? Yeah, I guess they couldn't. They couldn't afford to de-age him the entire movie. I don't know. Um, but I think the the way they treat the lore in this movie, it is uh, a sort of extension um, on some things that the first movie is getting at. Because you're right that in in the first movie, the Candyman is just Tony Todd guy um, uh, who who died uh, in the in the late. 1800s like you said as a painter and he's been haunting people ever since as his story is told over and over again um but the hint that other people can assume the Candyman name comes from a scene in the movie where our main character helen is investigating uh, a a bathroom in cabrini green like a public bathroom and it's just filthy in there like totally sorted and she's taking pictures and a dude with a hook for a hand enters and um and then he has a group of people behind him uh who don't have hooks for hands and they attack her and um we learn that this dude uh is just like a criminal in the area who 
has based his shtick on the Candyman myth. He calls himself the Candyman and he carries a hook around and uh, people citing him have thought that they've seen the Candyman, but it's actually just this act, this regular corporeal dude. Um, and so that sort of ties into the idea of like, uh, other people can assume this role but they can't they can't actually do it because the the true myth of Candyman is tied to the horror that happened to this one murdered painter um and so to then widen it out and like make that idea of storytelling and like fearfulness and passing this story down um to make it so much more literal of like, oh, there are different candy men for every generation because this thing keeps on happening. It just, it feels a bit, uh, a bit pointless to me. Like, I think that it, the movie doesn't make the candy man that they have. Uh, it, it, it doesn't put enough stock into it. It doesn't give him enough screen time, enough of uh, an overwhelming presence to like make a new horror villain, a new version of the candy man, the way that something like it 2017 did where it like gave us a new Pennywise and then, made him the new iconic Pennywise this movie doesn't quite have that even though I think that the actor who plays the sort of main Candyman in this movie Sherman who we see the most of um, I think he does a good job but I think the writing just doesn't do enough for him because it's actually concerned with doing all these other things that I talked about earlier and so uh, and then of course we have a bigger villain reveal later on where it turns out that William who told the Candyman legend to Anthony, um, he's the one that uh, is sort of the big bad because he wants to turn Anthony into the Candyman. And so, and really, and that doesn't work. Right. But not like literally, but I mean like that ending's weird. Right. And kind of shitty. I didn't I understand so. why it was happening. Yes. I I thought so as well. I thought that, one it's like the it feels like it's like the disney animated movie twist where it's like this this and i guess it's a common storytelling trope but i i thought that it felt pretty this cheesy. friendly guy was the, the friendly bad guy the whole is, it, time. exactly i thought that was pretty uh cheesy i think that it lessens the horror of the movie that could have been there because it's like a surprise gotcha moment um instead of actually going all the way with what this uh sherman dude might mean or what the Candyman might mean in general and then as he's doing his villain turn he's spouting off all this stuff about like why he's the villain and it just doesn't it doesn't stick to me at all because like I, it just doesn't feel like it's actually the story it just feels like it's uh it's uh the movie is bereft of story yeah it's just like all it's all reason like it's all this is the reason this is happening it's like answering a whole lot of like that's the same problem why the... but there's no other there's no other like w's in the movie that's the whole problem with why it's so didactic too is like it's just giving you the... <laughs> 
the reason for why they're having this discussion when it's like we know <laughs> like um you don't have to treat this like it's new information um and yeah to your point uh about the actors and stuff we can get into more like f- form and execution stuff a little bit um i think that uh most of the lead performances are at least pretty good um i i like uh yaya abdul mateen a lot i think they could have probably done a little bit more with him yeah I but, agree. I, but i do like him a lot uh so you know i was on board at least i think like i understand why you cast him here uh and i think he does a good job with what he's got same for uh tiana paris i think it's like you know she's doing fine with what we have i do think uh coleman domingo is a standout i think in particular like you think about when anthony goes back for like a second Candyman explanation basically and he gets like the backstory of like daniel robitaille and sherman and everybody um and the way coleman domingo tells that story and kind of really embodies it and that's when they're tying it into that sort of like more directly to that collective storytelling idea the way that like helen's work i guess tried to uh i really think he crushes that i think he's got like such a great presence i really like him quite a bit um but a lot of everything else was just kind of okay like you know passable with the with the uh with the acting that's mostly how i felt about it yeah uh i i think i'm pretty much in line with you i think that uh a lot of these actors, I can see why they're cast and like they, they have a, uh, a charisma to them, um, but they're actually not given a whole lot. And then someone like uh, Coleman Domingo, the William character, he's like, it ends up he's actually given a lot to do, but <laughs> and he's and he's great. I loved him as well. He's also in a, a movie that I love called Assassination Nation. Um, so it's cool to see him again. Um, but all the stuff that he's given to do, it's like by the end, it's like he can't <laughs> save that. You know what I mean? Like exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's it's like if I were um, if I didn't understand the English language and like I were just <laughs> watching this movie uh, or watching like his scenes as part of like a an Oscar um, real show, right? A real where I would be like, yeah, dude, that dude isn't a mate. That dude is killing it in that role. But I really don't think the role amounts to anything, um, which is a shame. It just feels like a caricature. Um, what did you think about? what I thought was supposed to be like the main comedic relief of the movie, which was Nathan Stewart Jarrett uh, playing Brianna's brother. He's a bit much. I laughed at one or two lines for sure. I'm going to give him that. But like the persona of it all is a bit much. Uh, he Honestly, he feels a bit like a stereotype. Yeah. Um, which is like fucking crazy that this movie somehow manages to have a character feel that way. Um, given everything it's espousing. Um, but I would like to give special shout out to his delivery of the line. Ain't a dick good enough on the planet to offset a demonology hobby. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good line. Yeah, that was really good. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you too. I think that some of his lines were funny. I would have, <laughs> COVID be damned, it would have kind of been nice to see this movie in a busier theater because uh, a lot of his lines, like they had the beat after them where it felt like it was making space for like a packed audience to laugh at it. And that sort of thing also happened in, in Jordan Peele's Get Out um, with uh, a TSA agent in the movie Ron, I think his name is, and uh, I thought I watched, I saw that movie in a packed theater, and I thought like basically all of his lines hit. Whereas um, uh, Troy's lines in this in this movie, it, it was actually a bit awkward because like it was a smaller theater, not many people were really were really laughing, and so the vibe wasn't quite there that I think the movie was going for. But but on on paper like a, a lot of those lines are funny like you, you just read a great one and i think his delivery is good but yeah i couldn't get past the stereotype thing too Corey. and i i've done some reading well i've tried to do some reading but there's actually very little to read about this and i've been wondering if like i'm i'm totally off base here because i haven't seen any i haven't been able to find anyone talking about this except for an article or two that says uh that um the queer representation in this movie is 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 really welcome because the gay characters in the movie don't die um but what a, what a low bar I think I is think that where so we're too. At? And I Fuck. think and I think that what the movie actually does, I thought that it was like really peculiar and not offensive to me, but uh um felt like it was like a bit uh tone deaf, like it felt like it belonged in a different movie because um Nathan Stewart Jarrett, he's he's doing like this typical this voice that like is used by every comedian to to play a gay person like on stage, right? And to, it's like, worth noting something. Yeah, quick. I want to hear it. People in the real world talk like that. Yes, he of is. He when he's not performing well, I'll talk like that. I've never heard Nathan Stewart Jarrett not in this well, movie. I don't know. That's what I want to say. Okay. I have heard him in other things. I'm a huge Misfits fan, and I've also watched interviews with him because of Misfits. And granted, I haven't heard uh, from the guy. He hasn't called me up. He hasn't returned my calls. I haven't heard from him in probably about... uh, It's been eight years or something since misfits ended or at least since his role on that show ended so I, I i don't know what he's been up to since then but in misfits he one he has a british accent but two um he is like a much deeper voice he doesn't talk like this in the slightest and i i just think it's really really strange that they cast this dude who i don't i don't know his sexuality at all so that's besides the point but the fact that he's like putting on this stereotypical gay affectation um like in order to just like i guess make his jokes sound funnier or just so we're more easily able to well, identify him as the gay as a gay brother i re- i was really confused the movie is so close because they just introduce a couple and they happen to be men and it doesn't matter at all and you're like oh that's nice mm-hmm. what a concept and then yeah i don't know yeah 
Yeah, so if if yeah. I ha- if I wasn't <laughs> familiar with the actor otherwise, I I don't th- I don't know if my mind would have gone there. Um but uh I was and I was just like what is why why do they have him doing that? The lines are funny anyway. The representation would be there anyway. And so um that kind of graded on me and especially in this movie that like is supposed to be so socially conscious i just i didn't quite understand it yeah man this was a disappointing movie fuck um do we got anything else you can bring out that you liked about it um yeah i was gonna save it for the end but we can do it now um well if you got anything else that you don't like i'd be happy well i was just saying we haven't talked about like the way the movie like looks and feels but i think largely because for me it was like very uninspiring mostly um because i was caught off guard when you said that you were struck by like an impressive like visual quality to it and i was just like it feels really um clinical and that's specifically true of certain scenes um yes yeah i agree uh, with you there but it even feels that way in like spaces that are not but like the way things are cut and a lot of the like uh, framing is kind of squared off, um, if you know what I mean. Like, people are like in the center, and it's very just kind of like blocked in a way that like it feels like you're looking at a block of something. Um, that's the impression that I got. Even in like close-ups where uh, you get a bit of depth of field, like everything's very like centered and very like precise. Even in like dude having a mental breakdown mode, <laughs> which feels a bit odd, but um. Yeah, and just nothing kind of struck me. Uh, I do think uh, the like paper puppet bits were neat. Yes, I loved that. I particularly loved it in the credits. Did you watch those all the way through? Jeez uh, Louise, I think so. Yeah, that was like... Um, if I had to put together like a top 10 list of credits, I don't know what else would come to mind. Uh, I'd have to think about it. But, you know, a lot of movies like the first three minutes of the credits as they're doing like all the main names, they'll have, you know, pictures on screen or some sort of graphic going on before it then eventually goes to just white scrolling text on a black backdrop. But this movie had uh, the, the the little um, cutout paper shadow puppets um throughout the entire credits and then that was on one side and then the credits were on another side on an angle as if they were being projected in Mm -hmm. the room of an art gallery and i was like i was amazed by that that has to be like the best credits i've ever seen in my life dude i i thought that was (laughs) so so cool i i loved it and i also thought that that was an instance of the movie like feeling a bit more subtle in that we're just watching this thing happen visually and um gathering what whatever we take from it and i would have liked more of that in the rest of the movie not necessarily more shadow puppets but like just more things that are not being outright explained to us and it's and where we're gathering it from just like sitting there and watching it happen and think about it um and and i do agree with you that a lot of these shots uh feel very clinical um 
I, I, I'm, I thought that a lot of the talking scenes where we're just like in someone's apartment felt very much like, uh, like basically any, uh, LA set movie from the last five years. And this movie doesn't even take place in LA, but it does star, uh, well-off people in lavish apartments and you know you're at art galleries and stuff and so i thought a lot of that felt pretty um like a bit sterile um but i do think there's there's some really cool stuff slipped in here i think that the movie um has a lot of like really cool rule of thirds uh trademarked rule of thirds um uh, shots in it where like there's a silhouette on one side and uh, and then to your left is just like a whole bunch of uh, um, what would typically be background but it's in the foreground um, sort of invisible man style I thought there was uh, a lot of cool playing with uh, reflections and windows in this movie where like my uh, I was trained by the halfway point in the movie whenever there was something that was like even slightly reflective my eye was going to it because this movie established that like the candy man does stuff in reflections and so um we should be scared and i'll i guess i'll take a quick tangent while i'm on it i thought that (laughs) this movie was like so uh (laughs) like frustrating in how it it was like trying to establish these like gimmicks for the whatever killer is populating the movie like the whole reflection thing and the whole like literal candy thing of like razors in candy and um, like literally because this movie has no subtlety about anything yeah i thought wow like (laughs) the and it starts off right at the beginning where we have our opening like our production logos and they're all reflected and it and it took me a second to to realize what that was and that was because you know you say Candyman in front of a mirror um from the first movie but this movie like hammers you over the head with the reflection thing and also hammers you over the head with like this isn't uh, a physical killer. This is something that is like more spiritual or, or uh, God forbid, like meta- metaphorical because you're watching people be killed. But it's not metaphorical. Exactly, exactly. It's the most real it could possibly be. But you're constantly watching people in this movie being killed like they're in. 2020's invisible man where like they're just like dying from nothing and i i was so jaded to that i don't know if invisible man did it to me or or if it's because of like the clinical uh framing and blocking of a lot of these indoor scenes a similar thing happens in the art gallery where uh um the um brianna's uh i guess he's like a Let's just say business partner. Uh, yeah, cares? like business partner, like an art dealer or whatever. He's a bit like he's sort of cocky. He's sort of dismissive of her, and uh, and he's just sort of a dope. Um, make like not taking Anthony's Candyman art seriously, and he's having sex with his girlfriend in the art room, and so like he dies for that reason. And and then we of course have the art critic who is dismissive of of anthony's work and um she 
dies in his apartment for that reason. And ev- everyone in this movie who dies except for the climax where we get Anthony and and Billy killed by cops. Everyone who dies in the movie is white, which is in... Nope. No. In a flashback, Candyman mm. kills Billy's sister. Right. Who right. is black. Gotcha. Which completely muddles... This is in Angelica's review. Which completely muddles the whole fucking thing. Right, right. Like, yeah, at yeah. least if Candyman was only killing white people, I'd be like, got it. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like, right. no, you've gone and you fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I will say that had not crossed my mind until I read the review. But when I did, I was like, Jesus Christ again! <laughs> like, oh my god! Yeah, and yeah, it it is it's it really does just feel strange. I I don't quite understand um, why. I don't know if it's just like a pushback coming after I just the think, first movie because it's I, like that Candyman killed a lot of black people. I just think they didn't notice. Well, no, no, no. Oh wait, no. I misunderstood what you're saying. Um, I think the like the racialization of the killing is very specific and intentional, right? But because in that except high except for that flashback one, where it's just like I think that they just I don't right. know, they stopped giving a shit, right? Because it completely muddles the whole thing. Because you can't now present Candyman as a figure of like I don't know, like black rage at the system taking it out because it's like nope he kills random children who right. are also black so what which one is it to like yeah and it's weird that they seem to make that oversight and if it's not an oversight i would love to hear the reason because it is very deliberate otherwise in that high school bathroom scene when they're doing the the Candyman incantation summoning whatever you want to call it there's actually um an asian girl in the group i think she was asian um and she uh and she's like nope i'm not doing this and she leaves and now so it's only like four white girls left who want to summon she was she was right to leave and and then and then the black girl comes in to like solidify the point right and then they bully her so yeah i also think that uh what we learned today folks is that vaping is not worth it (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. If um, only uh, whatever her name was, Boof, which is not a name <laughs> that people have, had yeah. not been so addicted to vaping. And that that vaping thing that also was like an example of another aspect of this movie. Um, that is, it's like really the only aspect of the movie that seems to be in between all the stuff that we've been harping on. Um, over the last hour it's like in the actual like horror death elements um when killings are happening they they they're they're constantly doing the what i feel like is a fairly recent trend um of like putting comedy in right before the death happens uh like it happened in halloween 2018 um it happens in it uh um it get out it happens and it just it i thought that that did um that also contributed to me not being able to connect with the movie because when the horror actually is happening in this movie that takes itself very seriously otherwise in all these other scenes it's taking itself very seriously so when this horror does happen i think it should feel brutal and um the staging seems like it wants to feel brutal. Like there's plenty of gore in this movie, but then, and then you have, 
see it because it's rated PG-13 anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this actually PG-13? Yep. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, so, like, the bathroom scene with the vape, the the scene where clive the art dealer is is murdered and he's like frantically zipping up his pants and saying must and go also faster. his girlfriend loves joy division yeah <laughs> yeah um and so and then and then clive like gets dragged across the floor with his nails digging in like we've seen in so many other horror movies before and so it just a lot of these horror scenes felt undercut by like these lines that are supposed to have like an audience howling in laughter and again maybe just like not having a big crowd around me affected it's also those, just not funny i thought that it just yeah i thought it wasn't <laughs> i thought it wasn't funny and because of that i thought that it did a disservice to anything that might have been scary um uh, <laughs> what did you think of the way the art critics death is shot how did that hit you when the camera is gradually zooming out of his high-rise up anthony's high-rise apartment and you see all these windows of the of the skyscraper and then you're seeing her attacked by an invisible force did that did that strike you at all it's cute i guess yeah i thought it was uh i thought it was cute it was kind of neat i didn't hate it like i was like oh okay (laughs) i thought it was cool until she actually like started really getting got and then then it was just kind of goofy it felt goofy to me um but i could see a lot of people saying that they that they it hit them the opposite way and it really did work so that that's one of those things that i could i can understand could just go either way and i and i respected the uh the ambition of it of having that it happened like so far away from your eye um but again i think that the whole invisible killing that permeates this movie and like the reflection idea i thought that it really ended up cutting out the legs of this the the movie's horror i think when billy reveals himself to be the mastermind even though um i think that the writing uh isn't doing it any favors just that that uh experience of seeing like an actor so unhinged and having that presence to him uh does wonders for actually like feeling tense and scared and uh um i think that having your killer be invisible for a whole uh for all the other significant scenes of the movie just really runs the risk of feeling goofy and for me it felt goofy and they feel unrelated yeah like that's why i don't i don't love the ending or at least that portion of it is because it's like how is this intimately tied to everything else and not literally how like i understand like the logistics of it but like in the way it's visually communicated like it's the opposite thing to the choice you had made through the rest of the movie which is you show the person who goes to the most gruesome on-screen anything is fucking Anthony between his body fully deteriorating and just getting his fucking arms sawed off. Like, so it's like, okay. Um, I don't know. It, I, I, I really don't like how this movie ends. The only thing I like about how the movie ends is that when she's talking to that cop and he's trying to get her to just say what they wanted to say about how like, um, how the murder of anthony 
when that's convenient like for their records of being like oh like we had to and he was clearly dangerous and blah 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 you know just that shit that they lie about um and uh her making the choice to not do that um and i guess by invoking Candyman in its own right um like that's a fun twist on the like reclamation of that like collective storytelling that they talked about with like Candyman as a stand-in for that violence but like choosing to use it thought that was interesting uh also um I do like how Anthony gradually seems like as he's sort of becoming possessed by this force that like he has a compulsion to make people say Candyman which I thought was fun like he gets like a childlike joy out of convincing people to say Candyman or trying to which I thought was interesting. Um, there are two positive things I can say. Uh, the, actually, the last positive thing I want to mention is I think the music's really fucking good. I think the music's really, 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 really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't remember much of the music at this point, um, but I... There's I some really like booming, kind of haunting, it. like very synthetic... Um, music i can't actually i'm struggling to remember specific cues but in a broad sense i remembered enjoying it quite a bit right yeah so credit where it's due that's easily like the thing i remember liking the most about the movie yeah so i think i'm I'm, I'm with you there too i i definitely liked it whatever it was and brianna told me that it reminded her of the score in joker and uh i think that movie has a cool score i didn't see that i don't know what joker sounds like yeah so uh apparently it sounds like that I've seen Joker and I don't remember what it was like either, but uh, there's a connection for you guys. Um, and yes, Corey, I think I liked those little bits in the ending that you pulled out and the way that they speak to uh, what a whole lot of the rest of the movie is speaking to without actually saying it. Um, it's I a thought, little bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, and I thought, I thought we should have got to that point in the movie much earlier. Cause I think, the it's it's like so um uh what is the word like it's so not foreshadowed but like we we know where the movie is going it's so when we see the the bee sting on anthony's hand first start to get bad it's like it's such an obvious uh like visual yeah you you don't even have to know what the original candy man looks like to not think well that's gonna go poorly for this man right and and i and, and i think that this he should maybe go to a doctor four weeks ago right and like that's <laughs> one of those like cinema sins type critiques that yeah. i wouldn't normally make that i actually have because the movie i felt like it it actually took great pains to like set itself in our present day world these are regular people well sort of regular i mean they they actually have a lot of money but but like they're they're personable people they're gonna they're approaching this from uh uh like a a grounded sort of everyman perspective and so then for this giant infection to be engulfing his body as the movie goes on I thought that it was sacrificing character and like how he and Brianna might respond to that sort of thing. I thought it was sacrificing character for like 
yo, he's turning into the Candyman visually, and they're not meant. It's not being mentioned because like it's his destiny, and he's so caught up with the the dark world that he's getting engrossed in, and so his body is I'm changing. Prepared to argue, yeah, in favor of them doing that. Let's hear it. The only reason, though, is because the movie does take pains to make clear that as that process is occurring, he's becoming less and less of himself. So you can reasonably assume that at some point, potentially early on, it was out of his purview to have the foresight to just do that like a sensible person would do. And also his relationship was not in the best of standing. Frankly, I don't think she gave a shit. Yeah, I so, guess that's the part that gets me. That, I I, to- to. I totally get you with him yeah, being. We're definitely cinema sensing it a little bit, which I'm reluctant to do. But I get why in a movie that is so literally textbook about everything else, why somebody might find that frustrating. Right. Yeah. And it's and I'm totally with you that like he the whole point is that like functionally he, you understand right like, like he well he's got blinders on right so i get that he's not going to be like yo this thing is getting infected because like we see him scratching it but then his eyes go right back to like the the artwork he's working on or something and so i totally get that but the, also his the portraits whole... are of other candy men which i yes. think is cool yeah i like the portraits uh i would totally buy some of those even though the art critic didn't like them but yeah but for brianna to like totally not like i i think there there could have been like something cool explored there where like that is part of like their relationship deteriorating he's like she, he she's like yo go get your arm looked out and he's like mm, no nah, i'm good it. i'm too I'm busy good. fucking vibing <laughs> yeah uh um yeah that's fair um yeah you know honestly i think the last thing the simplest thing to say is if somebody came up to me and was like hey i want to watch a new horror movie what do i watch not this like there are other recently released like relatively speaking fuck you know what you know what go watch the invisible man you'll get half the shit that's in this movie anyway fuck honestly (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's that's a really really great point um i mean obviously like there's a the fucking racial dimension is not there but i don't think this movie's anywhere near the best exploration of that you can get in a horror movie yeah no by a wide margin like (laughs) exactly exactly you're not necessarily gonna learn any of that stuff here i don't i don't think i don't I, i really don't think even though it's in this movie i don't think you're gonna learn it i don't i just like this is not what i watch movies to to see and by that i don't mean like i don't watch i don't i don't watch movies to like get like opinions on politics and and racism and stuff i absolutely do what i don't watch movies to see is like have that stuff presented and then do nothing with it there's a smarter way to do it also i'm i'm prepared to say it's not at the risk of people getting pedantic in response it's not really opinions like those things are happening in real life right yeah of course Uh, yeah not to get pedantic on you but just for clarity's sake but at the same time like yeah movies can do a lot better than this and handling subject matter like that uh than this does because i think the biggest issue and if i'm understanding you correctly too is not even like like every literally everything in existence is political it just is that's life sorry we live in a society whatever 
Um, and obviously race is one of those things. Um, and it's a, you know, irrefutable fact of everyday life that that's true, but there are ways to discuss it certainly in a cinematic forum that speak to it without literally speaking to it. (laughs) Whereas this decides we can just say it all and people will think that now. And I don't think that's an effective way of getting those ideas across, regardless as to whether your audience may or may not already agree with you. I agree with you, Corey. I think that was that was really well stated. I am I am so glad. Well, I'm glad might be the wrong word because I like when people like movies, but I am relieved that we feel the same way about this movie because I was afraid I was going to have to be the negative Nancy and I was going to have to figure out how to articulate these arguments myself. Um, (laughs) But having you as my partner in crime uh, has has helped me out. Um, And I think I know where I stand on this movie better than I did two weeks ago. Coming out of it, I I was a bit confused. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. I was expecting something much, uh, much more nuanced in everything that it was tackling because I expected it to tackle all the stuff it did. I was excited that it was going to do that, but I was very let down in the, in the execution. And that has only intensified over the last two weeks. Any of the stuff that I was impressed by has, has very much like been trumped by all the other stuff we talked about today. And it's only been two weeks. So yeah, what I will say is um, there are positive reviews of this movie. I encourage people to read them. It's interesting. Uh, but you're not getting one here. So uh, with that out of the way... Uh, I wonder what Mitch would have said. I do too. God love we'll, him. Rest we'll in peace. We'll never know because he died. Yeah. I mean, unless the last thing he did before tragically passing away um, yeah, maybe maybe he watched Candyman and write thorough notes on the experience of doing so. Well, he keeps a log of all the movies he watches, yeah. and I think he puts a number next to him, right? A little rating? Yeah, we can't rule out that maybe the last thing he did before he literally died was well, watch Candyman and take notes. Well, again, we're going to have to go track down that notebook. And, it, uh, dude, hopefully <laughs> hopefully, it's actually not a high number, because if it's low, we'll be like, okay, he thought the same thing we thought. But if it's like a 9 out of 10, we'll be like, Mitch! You were the here one. to explain yourself. <laughs> also, before we go, another movie that we watched in cities in cinema came into my head. It was High Rise by the director Ben Wheatley, and it stars Tom Hiddleston. What city is that in? I don't actually know what city. Or are it they took saying like the, built, the like the structure as a city unto itself? Was that that's the right? Argument? That okay, that yeah, is yeah, what yeah. it was. Yeah, like, it, it feels like an inhabited place. Very much like it, it was, it. it's the kind of high rise that you never have to leave. Like it's got grocery stores and right. Yeah. See, I could, I didn't even need that class. Look at me go. <laughs> I haven't even seen high rise. And I think if if this movie were on the syllabus of really any sort of class, once you see it on the syllabus, you'd and and uh, and you know what class it's in, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is why we're seeing this movie. You wouldn't have to see the movie. You'd be good. Yeah, honestly, I would love to hear like a film studies class lecture about a movie be really negative. 
That'd be fascinating. Like, yeah. we're going to watch this movie and we're going to tell you all the shit it fucked up. Oh, man. I wonder if maybe that <laughs> happened in that class in one of the ones that I so carelessly missed. You Here's know what? Why this is a bad example of this thing. Yeah, so I think the movie we're doing next week could not be further removed from this if we tried. Um, maybe. It's... The 1925 Phantom of the Opera movie. Do not worry. That was the plan. Everything is fine. Do not look into this further. Everything is fine. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, you guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow, Graham the Mallow, Graham the Mallow, Graham the Mallow. And if you say it one more time, my website will show up right in front of your eyes. Mitch dies. <laughs> That's what killed him. He said my username too many too times. Too many times. And he, and he my got, little marshmallow man haunted him. He was terminally logged on, and then he logged off. Oh, unfriended. Forever. <laughs> unfriended dark web. One day. <laughs> Another teaser for you guys. Uh, you can find me on... Uh, where can you find me? Twitter and Letterboxd. That's that's correct. In a mirror. Um, in a mirror at Mr. Corey Price. Um, and you can listen to other podcasts that I do... Uh, MK Podcast with our friend Neil about Mortal Kombat Ephemera. Uh, uh, this is not the most recent episode, but I would recommend going to listen to our episode about Mortal Kombat Federation of Martial Arts. It's fucking madness. It's if you want to listen to two people completely unravel over the course of about 60 minutes because of a weird, broken, archaic web series. There you go. Uh, that's MK Podcast all over the place. And, um, with that said, thank you all once again for listening to this very academic episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. Episodes you can find on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can find us via email at TMAOPodcast at Candyman.com. I can't believe I just said that. Wow, dude. Are you possessed? Can you check your hand? Is it okay? So what happened was I was trying to think of head to the funny question I was going to ask. And I guess I thought maybe it would include the word Candyman. And my brain just said Candyman. That's wow. how it gets you, man. Uh, you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what other name you don't want to say five times in a mirror because you'd hate it if they showed up. It could be anything. You, like if you don't want to talk to Kurt Angle, you wouldn't <laughs> Kurt Angle five times in a mirror. Um, <laughs> Kurt Angle isn't summoned by you saying his name five times. It's summoned by you chanting "You suck" five times in front of a mirror when he shows up, with or without the metal, <laughs> with or without a broken freaking neck. Um, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by jade dickinson you can find on instagram at jade sketches and before we keep talking about kurt angle we'll catch you here next time on they slayed another one 